Hi, and welcome back to Ecolution. We're bringing you a new episode every two weeks as promised, but this summer is proving to be quite hard to keep up with in terms of climate news. Too eventful by far. Over the past two weeks, we've seen record-breaking temperatures all across Europe. People going on holidays expecting warmer weather are instead being blasted with heats in excess of 40 degrees and beyond. The UK broke heat records three times over the course of one day. This isn't a typical heatwave. Tourism on its own is responsible for about 5% of international CO2 emissions. But people have always wanted to travel, to explore and find out about new places. It's a right our parents and those before them exercised, and it's one that even eco-conscious young people don't want to let go of completely. Because kids are probably the best at being curious, at wanting to go someplace new and ask the big questions. So even if you're not going abroad this year, we thought, for one episode, we might bring you somewhere totally tropical. This season, we're building a mini-series within the show that revolves around the sea, from rock pools to scuba. Hi, my name is Rosa, and my age... I'm turning seven today, and I want to be a marine biologist when I grow up. Sounds really fun because you get to explore and know more things that are just really amazing. Some of my favourite things I already know about the sea are just the wonderful beauty and how amazing the different types of animals and sea creatures are like. I really like dolphins and I like whale sharks and I really, really like lemon sharks because they're just really nice and friendly. They can save people and just really, really good at connecting. Well, I guess we should hear firsthand what it's like to be a marine biologist. Hi, my name is Philippe Lodge. I work as a marine biologist at a five-star resort called Seaside Finalu in Ba Atoll, Maldives. Uh, my job basically consists on uh, showing the underwater world to our guests. That can either be done outside the water through marine presentations and penguin tours, which is a semi-submersal vehicle, or also through scuba diving and snorkeling tours, because we have uh, reef hopping safaris, turtle and dolphin cruises, and of course one of the guest favorites, the manta snorkeling. Other than that, I can also be responsible for our conservation efforts with the Coral Propagation Project, or Coral Gardening, and being in contact with the key organizations like Manta Trust, Olive Ridley Project, and so on. The Maldives lie in two rows of atolls in the Indian Ocean, just across the equator. That's about 9,000 kilometers away from Ireland. But weirdly, our last episode was a clue to how we are connected to it because Ba Atoll is also a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve, and Rosa thinks it's pretty special too. Well, a lot of animals from another bit of the sea come that way to get away from the danger. Loads of people are friendlier there than in different places, and they sometimes find more food there. If you imagine Maldives, it's like 26 atolls, which are like these little rings, and it could like form a little bit of a pearl necklace, I would say. Bat Atoll would be located on the west side of that. What makes Bat Atoll really special is uh, its biodiversity and the sustainable development, which made it a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve, kind of a living laboratory for testing and demonstrating sustainable development. They're about the future and how a community could conserve the things that they value, so the local knowledge, the culture, and the environment. And also, like, being recognized by UNESCO, which is a worldwide thing, is a motive of pride, and it's easier to protect something you're very proud of. (laughs) 
Hmm, that sense of caring about the natural spaces that you use sounds very familiar, just like the Dublin Bay biosphere in fact, but the flora and fauna of the Maldives are slightly different. In the Maldives, and especially in Batal, there's a lot of biodiversity. I'm going to focus a little bit on the underwater one, because I'm a little biased on this, but outside we have also mangroves, a key element for fish nurseries, but the biggest thing for me, it's the coral reefs because they have a lot of different animals. They have, we have 250 species of corals, either stony or soft. We have 1,200 reef species of fish. A special men- mention, for example, for Napoleon Rasses. It tells you if the reef is healthy or not. And in a house reef tour, I can see two here, so it's super good. And you can also find five species of marine turtles in the Maldives especially hawksbills near the coral reefs and then greens just passing by because they like their sea grass. We also have manta rays, of course, and from time to time, whale sharks, nurse sharks, black tip sharks, everything. <laughs> we have everything. Philippa spends lots of her time underwater. <laughs> I only found out you could breathe underwater very late in my life, but it's just the most amazing feeling. It just feels like you have no weight. It's just like in space, and then there's all these creatures around you and everything to see. And then after 50 minutes down there, you get very sad that you have to come up because the tank doesn't last forever. (laughs) To be surrounded by aquatic life is just something I I don't even know that I can describe. Like Once you tried it, you get obsessed with it. (laughs) That was one of my problems. I was like, I knew like once I started doing this kind of job that I was never going to be able to let go. (laughs) I think I could spend my life underwater too. If only I had gills. But what do you think it takes to become a marine biologist like Philippa Rosa? I don't know, you have to like be really good at different stuff, like know a lot of the knowledge and go through different courses and it involves a lot of counting, so you have to just really know. You have to count how many animals and see what happens and things like that. So how close was she? So ever since I was a child, I loved to be in the water. I could never understand the little mermaid or why she wanted out. One of my first drawings in first grade was like, I'd live in a rock under the sea and was all I wanted for a very long time. So when I grew older, that passion uh, led me to pursue my studies in aquatic sciences in Porto University. After that, I wanted to pursue marine conservation and education which led me to volunteer in a project where diving was also involved. And I knew from that point on that diving and education was the path that I wanted to pursue. And then came the opportunity to come to Finalu and pursue my passion, not only in the Maldives, but uh, in Ba'atol. So I knew that I found my dream job when every day I'm able to make people see the ocean and just... I could be diving in the morning and then mantis snorkeling in the afternoon and then end the day with some dolphin cruise and it's, it's a dream. <laughs> Manta rays are one of the biggest attractions visible in the waters of the biosphere. First of all, they're big. They're gigantic. They're a fish, so they're the, they have the biggest brain of all the fishes. And still, we call them the gentle giants because they hurt nothing. They just like swimming in the water, catching the plankton, opening their mouths. and They're very intelligent and they're very curious. For example, when we do our trips, like we don't even have to swim away from them. They just go as close as they want and then they go under. And it's just, it's really hard to explain the excitement of seeing one of them with their mouth open just coming at you. It's just like, oh my God, what do I do now? <laughs> 
Mentas are very special, I think. <laughs> Manta rays look kind of amazing. They have these special fins that are kind of not sharp or anything, and that helps them keep steady because they're kind of flat. It looks like they're flying through the water. So they look formidable, but you're unlikely to get eaten by a manta ray anytime soon. So they eat plankton. So what they do is they, they open their mouths wide. They have the gill plates because they cannot stop swimming. But when they open their mouths, if a place has enough plankton, which is the tiny, tiny organisms, they can filter them in their gills. They have uh, five plates of gills on each side and they filter it and that's what they eat. So what makes this particular part of the Maldives so attractive for them? Batal has this really special place called Anifaru. A lot of plankton gets in but it can't get out because there's like a higher reef so it just gets trapped there and that's why the mantas like it so much because it traps all the plankton and they just like do their little dances trying to catch as much plankton as they can. And they go around and around like making their own whirlpool at a giant feast. So they can either do it uh, in a chain, they can do it like piggybacking, they can do backflips, try and catch as much as they can. They can also do some cyclone feeding and stuff. It's good. So Anifara Bay is one of the largest places on earth where this happens, a key aggregation site for manta rays. And sometimes a whale shark. <laughs> like many sea creatures, it's not plain sailing for the manta rays. There's two types of mantas. We have the oceanic manta rays. They are more uh, single individuals that can go up to seven meters. They are now considered an endangered species. And then we have reef manta rays, which are usually the ones we see in Anifara Bay. They can grow up to four meters, and they are right now uh, vulnerable, but we think they might grow up to endanger. Here in the Maldives, uh, Manta Trust has been able to identify 4,900 individuals all around the Maldives, because we can tell which manta we are seeing by their belly. So they have like uh, specific patterns on their bellies, and we can tell which one we're seeing. And in Anifara Bay, they've identified 1,800 of those individuals. So here we are kind of okay, but again, they're very gentle and there's nothing they can do against human things. There's two main threats that they have right now. So one of them, again, is bycatch, either by ghost nets or actual fisheries. And the second one, it's a, a kind of new one. Remember how I explained that they are filter feeders? So they, with their gills, they filter the plankton in the water. In traditional Asian medicine, they are now using that as a tonic. So if it filters and it's good for filtering toxins, we can use it as well in medicine. It's not actually proven that it happens, but they have been targeted for the gill plates. For manta rays, they're part of the ecosystem and they're super gentle creatures and their major threats are human-made. So their only vulnerable or critically endangered status comes as a direct result from our acts as humans. And I just think it's going to be a sad day in this world if people cannot see a bunch of manta rays just swimming around <laughs> like huge blankets because that's where manta comes from. It's blankets in Latin. For me, that would be a very, very sad day. Another thing that this biosphere has in common with the Dublin Bay one is man-made pollution. Well, loads of people are littering animals just really need to be cared about. There is a lot that we've been doing. We can do everyday beach cleanups and we also have an underwater cleanup coming up because it's a wear week. 
Obviously, every day people clean the beaches, not only in our resort, but all around. Every time we go diving, uh, we if we see some trash in the water, we'll just collect it and put it in our pockets. But the water here is pretty good. We also have sometimes ghost nets, which we collect and we report to Olive Ridley Project, because those are really the most horrible thing you can see around. It's ghost nets and they just swim around with the currents and it's bad. For example, for mantas is bad because they have to keep swimming all the time and they can only swim forward. So if they get catch in a net, there's nothing, there's not much that they can do. They can try and backflip, but it's not nice. One of the most exciting things about Biosphere is how they showcase the interconnectedness of their ecosystems, how plants and animals coexist and find balance, like the waters of Ba Atoll. The plankton attracted here and the manta rays that follow. And the manta rays take this idea of mutualism a step further. They have these tiny fish attached to them that help them find food. And it's really interesting because you get to learn a lot about how you um, interact with them. Mutualism is when two animals are working together for the same role. I have a lot of examples. For example, the anemone fish, the nemos in the anemone, that's a mutualistic relationship. Same thing with humpback damsels and uh, branchy coral. So what happens is, for example, for the nemos, the nemo get protection from the world because the anemone doesn't sting them, but it stings other animals. And in return, they clean up the anemone. Same thing with the humbug uh, corals. So the humbugs will swim, get protected inside of the branchy corals, and then their swimming around makes it easier for the coral to not get sand on it and be able to do the photosynthesis as well. Marvelous will have from time to time a remoras, and they also they have a mutualistic relationship with them. Underpining so much of the sea life around the Maldives are the coral reefs. Coral reefs are pretty special. Well, it's a place for all fish to have fun. Also, it can be found in a lot of rare species. It's kind of alive, but you need to find a way to help them a lot. Coral reefs, some people think it's a rock, some people think it's an animal, some people think it's a plant. It's actually a combination of the three. We have the animal part, which is a polyp. It's actually a colony of polyps, which is this little animal that inside has a, an algae leaving called zoocytel. So the algae does the photosynthesis during the day, which gives the coral a lot of energy. And then during the night, they open their arms and they collect nutrients from the water. Those nutrients are then gonna produce a calcium carbonate skeleton which they build themselves upon. But it takes a long time for them to build that calcium carbonate. What makes coral reefs really special, at least for me, is that they're like 0.1% of the oceans have coral reefs, but they have a quarter of all the marine life you can find in the ocean. So they are really, really rich in, uh, in marine life. For example, the other day we went to Attila and it was like, excuse me, fishes, can we actually see the corals? <laughs> because there were so many fish. And you can see everything. You can see anemone fish, anemones, sharks, turtles, usually hawksbills around the reefs. And then there's loads of colorful fish like butterfly fish, angel fish. They're all different. They all look, for example, butterfly fish, the fun fact is they mate for life. So you, usually when you see one, you see two. And it's very cute. <laughs> uh, 
uh, parrotfishes, you can hear them munching on the corals a little bit because they're actually responsible for 70% of the island's sand. So they want to eat the algae part, but they eat the whole thing in the coral. So they just produce a little bit of a rainfall of sand afterwards because inside they, they triturate the, the sand. So that's a little fun fact. <laughs> I give a lot of fun facts. Rose is also pretty fascinated with coral reefs thanks in no small part to the octopus. Is everyone all right? Just a little dizzy, Captain. Yeah! And ready to go again! It has a lot of stuff that's really great for helping it, but a lot of sea creatures like the Cranothorn starfish can start killing it and stuff. They eat the coral slime out of the coral, so that stops it from being kind of alive. Quite tricky. They have red spikes and they love eating coral slime, but the red spikes are poisonous and can make you very sick. So if they inject into someone, that could really make them very sick. In the past few hot weeks, many of us have gone to the beach to take a dip and cool off. But even the seas around Ireland have seen a marked temperature rise this year. Our warming seas are another result of increasing emissions. Oceans absorb 90% of the sun's heat, keeping our temperature in check. But that heat doesn't just disappear. That warming of the water has an impact from our poles to more tropical places too. When a coral reef is damaged, it's usually bleaching. What bleaching means is the algae that I told you lived inside the animal. When the water gets too hot, the algae will come out. Which means that the coral can either die if the algae stays out for too long, or the water temperature goes down, the algae comes back and the coral is okay. What we can do to help bleaching corals is, let's call it a little bit of gardening. So you can take a piece of coral that has been naturally broken by either the waves or some parrotfish that ate the bottom of it. And you can take that piece and put it in a frame, which makes him good in sunlight and enough nutrients go by for him to rebuild themselves. That's what I call coral gardening, because you just take a little piece and you make it okay. The Maldives consist of a chain of about 1,200 small coral islands and sandbanks, of which about 200 are inhabited. It's been a haven for tourism for many years, even more visibly on TikTok and Instagram these days. But it's a place that's changing. Mohamed Nasheed, the former president of the Maldives and a leading voice on climate change, said at COP26 that at the current rate of global warming, much of the Maldives could become uninhabitable. The work Philippa and other marine biologists across the world do in tracking the plant and animal life of our oceans is so vital in charting these changes. Only by investigating our world as it is can we see what it's going to become. Ba Atoll's status as a UNESCO biosphere offers important protection, but our changing world could still have an impact. We've seen it already happening, how we, like the, the events of the weather can be drastically changed. So potentially in the future, if those changes would mean not so many currents in Anifaro Bay or something that would change their, their behavior, so what they're used to, they're used to going to Anifaro Bay to feed. If the currents start being that strong or if it doesn't go in the right <laughs> direction, then uh, it could be potentially a problem. Thanks so much to Philippa for taking the time to speak with us, from an island that sounds so idyllic. And thanks to Rosa too. I hope we've managed to take you there, at least for a few minutes today. We have to look abroad as often as we can. Other parts of the world are seeing change more rapidly than we might usually notice in Europe. 
although the recent heat waves have caused some alarm. The Maldives is a place that I know I'd love to see, one that's worth preserving, so maybe sometime, like Filippo, we could all spend a day in the seas around Ba Atoll. A dream day for me in Finalu would be just going snorkeling in the morning and then snorkeling again in the afternoon to see the mantas and dolphins at night and maybe some night diving as well because at night the reef completely changes like it seems like like a different world and also it's like a little excitement that you cannot see around you you can only see what the torch points at oh and turtle babies if we can get turtle babies on a good day because we have two nests right now so hopefully one of them will be born right around my birthday which is coming up so that would be also a perfect day to have baby turtles on my birthday <laughs> Ecolution is produced by Nikki Coughlin and presented by me, Evie Kenny. Get in touch with us at junior at orte.ie. Now, I think I'm off for a swim. This is Anne. RTE Junior Boy!